they want to feel better, but they have no idea what to do. And that's the stuck. Oftentimes they have no idea what to do. And that's where uh, working with someone who, you know, who knows what they're doing, I'm like, well, hey, we can help you with that because we can get you unstuck. I always say that's what we specialize in to get some movement so that then, you know, when we can get some healing, right, by, by processing the deep emotions that go along with the loss and everything and freeing up a lot of that pain in their heart, their filter begins to change. Because a lot of times they can't even answer the question, who am I now? What does life look like for me? Because they're still in so much pain. But if we can start and move some of that pain and free some of that heart, their filter changes and they just feel lighter and, and they start to see things differently and they can get some hope and we can start something that takes root in them so that then we can say, who is Sherry now? What does life look like? Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God, how could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. My guest today is a grief specialist. She is certified in critical incident stress debriefing, a certified trauma interrogative practitioner, eight-time award-winning author on grief, and the founder of the Grief and Trauma Healing Network. My guest is Anne-Marie Lockmeyer, and she has quite a well-rounded education on grief, but her passion is to help grieving widows. She's a widow herself, so my conversation with her is both from her personal experience as well as her professional ability to help widows process and heal. So we had a great conversation that I am excited to share with you. Some of the things that we talked about were what does it mean to be blessed in a Christian context when, in fact, we're not exempt from pain and suffering? The complexity of grief, that it does affect the brain and the body. Giving yourself permission to grieve, to be angry, to laugh, to have joy. Grief is a roller coaster at best. So the focus is to care for yourself as you journey through. We talked about healing and that it is possible. It doesn't mean you forget about your loved one or that you're not honoring them anymore if you happen to smile or that your life magically returns to what it used to be because it'll never be the same. It'll be different, but it can still be beautiful. As Anne-Marie shares her experience of unexpectedly losing her husband, Mark, while she's out of the country, and I add that because I personally think that not being able to get to your loved one at such a critical time adds yet another layer of trauma to the trauma. Her husband passes from a brain aneurysm, and this not only leaves her blindsided and numb, but they have a special needs son who responded to his father like no one else. When Anne-Marie received word over the phone in a foreign country, 
that her world had been ripped apart and would never be the same. She asked God one thing. God, if I have to go through this, may I glorify you, honor Mark, and impact lives. And as you listen to the message on her heart today or visit her website, check out her widow's retreat and engage in her extensive resources, I think you'll see that God has honored her request. God has taken the very same thing that evil intended to destroy Anne-Marie with and did something really beautiful. Let's listen in so that we might find God in the midst of pain and suffering. Anne-Marie, I am so happy that you are here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sherry. I'm glad to be here too. Our conversation today is about when you become a Christian. When someone becomes a Christian, your life is perfect. <laughs> I couldn't even say that with a straight face. Could I? <laughs> oh boy. Sorry. Oh, there's nothing further from the truth. <laughs> I was saying. But the message that many people either receive or believe in their own understanding, they think, oh, if you come become a Christian, you don't sin anymore, you're perfect, you you walk this way. And yet they know in the back of their mind they're not doing that. Additionally, what we know to be true about loss and uncertainty is the complete opposite. Your thoughts on the Christian life being perfect? <laughs> well, I'll just <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you from experiencing it, it certainly right. isn't. But uh, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because it's actually something I've struggled with that often, you know, unbelievers get the message that the church may even present it, that come to Christ, right, and come to faith and life's going to be great. Yeah. And, and then when it doesn't go that way, they get very discouraged because it hasn't been presented to them in a truthful way, which is not that everything's going to be great and life's going to be grand. But what I think is so amazing is that you have a God to walk you through anything that you need. And you have a whole eternal perspective. It's so much more. But I just think sometimes we do people such a disservice when we don't explain what the faith is all about and what it means to be a, a servant and follower of Christ. And it is beautiful and it's wonderful, but it is hard. And, you know, I was just even today reading about Paul, you know, with his light and momentary troubles, right? Light and momentary troubles. And what was he shipwrecked, whipped, chained? Sound. Exactly. And and you're, I think scripture tells us the opposite, that he will be with us through it and that e eternal perspective. Yes. And it's one of the examples you gave when we were talking, and I thought it was really good, was the Christmas story where the angel appears to Mary. Oh, that's right. And one of my darkest times, really, right after my husband died and then dealing with a mentally ill son. And I, I was reading the Christmas story and how the angel appears to Mary and says, you know, you are blessed among women. And he just got me. How many times have we read that? And we know that he says that, but blessed among women. And so it's like God's blessing her with this opportunity. He, he thinks she is blessed, but look at what Mary experiences. I mean, yes, she may be the mother of the Savior, but, you know, she was judged, you know, rejected first by Joseph. And then, of course, what other people must have thought about her, people thinking her son was crazy, right? And plus, I'm sure he, she was a wreck trying to figure out where he was sometimes, right? <laughs> and what he was doing. And then to watch your son be tortured and crucified and spit on and hated. And I'm thinking, that's blessed? Mm -hmm. But she was called blessed, and I think, wow, God's perspective of blessing 
right? And, and good is so different than our own. It's so different than our own. And you see how he can use everything. And we need him. We need him so badly. But that really changed my mind. It's like, Lord, am I blessed? Because I sure don't feel blessed. Right. Yeah. Well, I think it's a really good example, too, in that the duality that joy can walk with grief, that goodness does exist side by side with painful places and painful things. And I think the the joy of having Jesus, but yet still having to watch him um, not not murdered, you know, he laid down his own life. That wasn't the case yet. From Mary's perspective, she's seeing him killed for no reason. And so I, yeah, that, that's some hard places to go. She's so young, such an example. And she said, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. She didn't think twice. Yeah. And I'm still at this stage often where I have to talk to God about it a little bit. Sometimes I I might argue with him just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who, when something difficult comes her way, she's like, all right, Lord, what is this going to cost me? She's up front with him and just saying, I know you want me to submit it to you in this situation, but what is it going to cost me? Mm. (laughs) And he's very patient and very kind with his response and drawing her into into his embrace in the midst of that painful thing. Because I think the truth is we can't avoid the pain of this life, but we can find peace and comfort in the midst of it because of who he is and what he offers us. That's very well said. I do think, though, many of us do try to avoid pain in this life. I mean, oftentimes you can't, but we may, right? We cannot, We don't want to have that discomfort. And of course, there's some things you can't avoid, correct? And And just understanding that maybe this is not what you want, but God will be with you through it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these things that cause us pain, we don't, we haven't chosen. We didn't choose you know, choose for people that we love to die, and along with a lot of other things that other people suffer with. So, but this is what we have. And what God does is he He can eventually change that to cause you to grow, to be a better version of yourself. And my biggest growth has always come through pain. And it is what tests your faith. Like I realized when I was at my worst, I was going to discover if whether I believed about God was true. There is something about that struggle of trying to understand the painful places of this life and God inviting you to let him in so that he can heal those places. I remember before losing my husband, I remember any time, you know, hit a lump or bump in the road. God, can you just fix this? God, can you just heal me? I don't have time to be sick. This is inconvenient. I really need you to put this back on track. And yet when I hit that wall, I I, I then realized that God is inviting me into something much deeper in the midst of that kind of pain. That every time that I have passed over dark places and just begged him to get rid of it and put it aside, I missed whatever it was he wanted to reveal to me about his nature in the context of that painful place. Now, I think I got a crash course on all the beautiful things that God does in the midst of very dark circumstances. But I also learned that he does not put things back like they were. He changes them. He transforms them. He gives them his value system, his the way he sees things. And I even will go a step further to say that I believe that he actually gets us a little bit closer to the person that he created us to be. I lost track of what that was, or maybe I never even knew that because we're born into sin. But the more we submit to him and engage him and and agree to let him heal us, we 
begin to understand who he created us to be just a little bit more, just a little bit more. Mm. So I don't know if that's been your experience, but. That is beautiful. It's interesting that you say that because it goes along with, I, I wrote, I don't know if you'd call it a poem, but it was just on my heart to write something shortly after my husband died. And I talked about being a beautiful vase that was created by the craftsman who I saw as God creating this beautiful vase, but the vase shattered, mm. right? And that was me shattered. But this craftsman could put it back together again. And it was going to be different, right? It was going to look different. It wasn't going to look exactly the same. It's going to have some cracks, right? He's going to put it back together and there'll be some glue, but it'll still be beautiful and it'll still be different. But those those cracks are good for it right? The, the cracks make it different and stronger once with the, with the bond. And that's what, I, that's what I felt that like, he's my creator and he will use this brokenness very much what, what you were saying to, to build me and create me into a, into a better version of myself. I hope to know him better in my pain. And please, for anyone who's suffering, I am not making light. You know, these are some things we can't even fathom at certain points in our pain. We're not ready to hear this. Right. Oh, and we argue with God. We can't do it. But you can get to a place eventually where you can see he will use this and make you better. Like, I am more compassionate, Sherry, so much more compassionate and loving towards people. I am humble. Oh, my gosh, I was humbled because I was so judgmental of other people. <laughs> until this happened to me. I hope that I am the best version of myself that I've ever been and closer to him in that pain. I didn't know where I ended and and God began. I, I that he's all I had. And so I just clung to him. And he didn't, I always say he's a great pit partner because I was I was in such a deep pit. And I wanted him to take me out of it. I begged him to take me out of it, but he didn't. He just sat with me. And, and that's kind of what I heard. I'm not big on hearing God's words, but it's like, I will hold you in the pit. I will hold you in it, but you are going to hurt, but I won't let you go. And I am no longer in that pit, but I was there for quite some time. And it was as painful as it was, and miserable, and I wanted to die often, and I don't mean kill myself, but not go on. It was really beautiful with God. And I, I say that word, I may have said it, brutal. Like it can be yeah. brutal and beautiful at the same time. And, you know, God's ways are not our ways. We would much rather have an easy, comfortable life. But that's not what scripture tells us. And I probably love God even more now. I definitely. And, and he became all that I was missing. I, I didn't have my husband. I didn't have certain support. And he was my husband. He was my family. I want to come back to the reference you made to pieces, but really quick when you talked about dying, but not like a suicide type death. Satan is always happy when the, the elements of death or lies we believe or traumas that have happened to us that we do not find peace and healing from. So he's always happy if he can kill us, but never kill us physically. Like he's not as interested in our physical death as he is about our emotional and mental death, because it will silence you. It will keep your mouth shut and it will keep you sitting in a isolated situation where you really do not live anymore. So I think that's important to make that distinction. So thank you for bringing that up. But the part about the pieces, I remember the thought came to my mind about how people talk about putting all the pieces back together in their life. But I, my thought was, 
am I even going to be able to find all the pieces? Like, I don't even know where the pieces went. And yet, and then as I heal, I hear about this art and don't laugh at me when I say this because it's a Japanese word. And so I don't know how to pronounce it correctly, but Kensugi, Kensagi art. Have you ever heard of that? Okay, so I found out about that. It is the art, a Japanese art, where they take broken bowls, plates, cups, whatever. And when they put them back together, they put them together with gold and they put them together with silver and they give them new beauty and a new meaning. And that's really what I felt like God has done with me and continues to do with me because there's still, I think when you experience a death of any kind, especially when a loved one, it can hit in certain degrees or whatever mine was, I felt like was a direct hit. There's still a reverberating um, process uh, over the years. And I feel like God is still putting those pieces back together, but in a beautiful way, something I wouldn't have not thought to ask for. And that's what he showed me. I love your using the words, a new beauty yeah. and that he can use something else to fill where we're missing or what we lost. And it is, it's, it's just, you know, yeah. He's a master craftsman, and we let him mold us into what he wants us to be. Yeah. I'm so grateful. I don't know how yeah. people get through these things. I don't either. A few minutes ago, you mentioned that you know this type of pain firsthand. You lost your husband to a brain aneurysm. You have a son with special needs whom your husband worked with, and your son responded and connected with his dad like no one else. Were you ever mad at God for flipping your world upside down? That's a great question. And I would have told you, no, actually, that's what I would have told you, that I wasn't angry with God. And I and I would tell myself, it's okay if I'm angry with God, because he knows it anyway. Right. You know? yes. So I thought, it's not like I'm hiding it, but I really didn't think I would. But when I when I went through the process, when I finally got my, my healing through processing certain things about three years after my husband's death, the tools that I learned to process his death, you can use with any relationship. And so I used it with God. I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm going to use these tools with my relationship with God and dig up everything and see what comes up. And you know what came up, Sherry? I was angry with God. I I didn't think I was. And I appreciated him too. Do you see, you know, you can see that I saw him and everything, but at the same time, it was, how could you leave me, you know, like yeah. this with, with my husband dead and a son that has these special needs. And it just, it's, oh, I was, but you know, when I could acknowledge it, which I didn't think I was hiding it, but it, it did bring it out. And I could just write about it and, and process it. It it just was all gone. It was all gone. And, and it can cause a crisis of faith, right? For sure. Yeah, yeah, Things yeah. like this. And yeah. I don't want people to be afraid of that. It's something, you know, something like this can make you run towards God or run away from God. Mm -hmm. And you have to find your way and he can handle it. I like that. You gave yourself permission to be mad at God. What are some of the things that grieving people need to give their, themselves permission to do? Oh, boy. There's so much permission they need because, as you may have experienced, society does not get grief. And so we don't as grievers, you know, we know how to get things and accumulate things, but we don't know what to do when we lose things. And people are uncomfortable with our pain. And so they try to talk us out of it. And we have to pretend like we're okay when we're not okay. I always say grievers are award-winning actors, right? Because we just know people don't want to see our pain. But I would say permission to grieve, first of all. 
permission. It's necessary. And the only way to, to get through grief or to even get better is to grieve. And, you know, th- just think about workplaces. You get three days off. Yeah. So what's the world telling us, you know, that this should go quickly? So I, I would say they need permission to lower their expectations of themselves. Mm-hmm. And be gracious to themselves because they're not okay and they shouldn't be okay and they can't do everything they used to do. And, uh, you know, one of the best things that I can help a new griever with if I meet with them just for one session, just kind of introduce them to grief is to say, you know, you're not playing with a full deck right now. Right. That's your true. your That's brain true. is is altered because of all of this. And because they think they're losing their minds. Right. Mm-hmm. They're not thinking they can't make decisions. They're at work and they're making mistakes. And if we can point out to them that you're handicapped in this way, it can reassure them. The other thing is not just being gracious to themselves, but being gracious and lowering their expectations of those around them. That's because. True. People, your friends and family, if they get it, well, that's wonderful. That's unusual. Most people won't get it. It's not that they don't care. But until you've been there, and I know I didn't get it until I had been there, I I had to apologize to a lot of my friends for the judgment that I gave them in their grief. And um, so I realized it's not that they don't care. They don't know. And they're often scared of us. So permission to be real with your feelings, right? Permission to be real with your feelings and just acknowledge them, all feelings, whether they make sense or not. Permission to say yes and permission to say no, you know, to to guide your friends on what you know. And we we work with people on how to answer friends and tell friends what you need Mm -hmm. and not to pretend. Uh, Permission to find community, right? That okay. people will get them, but also permission if they need to to be on their own and 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 isolate a little bit. That's okay. We don't want that for long, but that's totally appropriate. It mm-hmm. is completely appropriate. And one of the best things I ever did was I went away at least three times for a week at a time. Certainly wouldn't have to do that. And my friend said, "You're going to go away alone," and I said, "No, I'm going away to be with God." Mm-hmm. And I would cry. I would sing, I would write, I would slam my body across the wall, you know, saying I can't take it. And then I'd binge watch some stupid show. But just to connect with God, write my thoughts, to listen to him. And, you know, I I would quote from Job, though you slay me, I will trust you. Though you slay me, I will trust you. And be still and know that I am God. And I know I got a little off the permission, but another permission I would just like to say is permission to grieve the way you grieve, because that's the right way for you. And as long as you need to grieve, we tend to compare ourselves and it, that's not right. So you could be grieving the same loss as someone else in their fam- in your family. And this happens all the time with parents who lose a child. As a matter of fact, that tends to be their their marriages. It, it tends to destroy the marriages. And the, the biggest reason is because they grieve differently. You know, one may be um, very much to themselves and not expressive. And the other one is much more emotional and sharing. And they can misunderstand each other and judge each other. And, and so it's really important to know your grief is going to be done your way. And, and that's the best way for it and that they're probably going to grieve longer than they think they should. And it's going to hurt more. 
than they think it should. I am currently seeing that difference in grieving. And because I have privy to the wife's conversation, she doesn't understand why her husband is not as upset. She's thinking that he's not as upset as she, like, mm-hmm. does, did he love that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And so, but we've been talking to her like, no, that's not it. You're looking at a completely different expression of grief. And we tell her, if you can get him to even talk about it at all, you're doing something good. <laughs> like you're well, breaking he through may not, He may not be comfortable talking to her about it as True. well. Yeah. It's not, he may not know what to do with her pain either. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I've seen it both ways. You you would tend to think it's, you know, the husband that's going to be a little more quiet, but I've seen both. So, it, and, and coming together and working with someone to even explain that to them can be really helpful to both of them. I can see how it would be if you can open up that perception of, to understand that there's different ways of grieving and it doesn't mean one feels less about it than the other. So even children, I watch my sons grieve differently. That's their same, the same father. They, right. they have raised in the same house under the same rules, same man, and they, they creep differently. We've been alluding to this Christian business. I want to say ministry, but how would you describe your business? Everything that we do. <laughs> yeah, no, really is, the truth. Uh, uh, so it is grief, grief and trauma related. And it's, it is a ministry, although it's not Christian only Christian, right? Like everything we do could work with someone who's an unbeliever in that. That's fine. But we love to bring it in, faith in, um, whenever we can. Uh, But what we really specialize in is walking alongside grieving people. So whether they're newly grieving or they're further along and they're ready for some healing. So we have healing programs that we work with for them. But one of my favorite things to do is just grief orientations. So it could be grief counseling, but even just one session with someone who's newly grieving to help them understand what is happening to them and for them to have a safe place to share what to answer questions they have and to share resources with them because So many people, they have no idea what resources are available to support them. And if I can help them with that, Mm -hmm. then whether they want them now or later, it just gives them a little more control. So we, you know, we created a free online grief support platform. So we've, we've done, I think over a hundred videos and that, that are all free with resource lists and book lists and all sorts of things, just so that we can help support grievers. And then we speak on grief wherever we can. We work with businesses who have like crisis where there's a, there's a death, you know, or some crisis that would happen there. Sometimes you'd be surprised murders and businesses or shootings and things like that, just coming in and working with people like that. And then training therapists and coaches on how to work with grieving people, because it's very different, right? Mm -hmm. And Ron, my partner is a therapist. And he's the first to say that he didn't know anything about working with grieving people. And, you know, he's a widower. So it's it's just that therapists can't know every niche, right? Okay. So to give them that, that specialty with grief can be really, really helpful. And then our, our favorite things, I think I told, said before, is our widow retreats. We, we love those. Even as you're saying that, it reminded me of the fact we're talking about how people don't know how to deal with us. But I think we don't know how to deal with ourselves when we're going through grief. And so when you're talking about resources, that's so great. People would ask me how they can help me. I didn't know how to tell them how to help me. I didn't know that I wanted resources. I just didn't even know what widow meant. What is that supposed to look like? What, what kind of shape? Give me a shape here to work with. Give me something. But no. And we, I just feel like widows, as I've talked to 
a handful of widows. I don't think we know what to do. We don't consider ourselves married, obviously, but we're not single either. I don't know where we fit in. I mean, we are single, but in our minds, we're not really considering ourselves single. So we're a weird group. <laughs> we are. All grief is awful, no matter who you lose. But there is something about widowhood, and I'm not saying it's worse. It's different. But yeah. there are so many secondary losses when it comes to losing your spouse. And, and every loss has a secondary loss. But, you know, a widow, she maybe she's lost her soulmate and best friend if they were really close, right? Her companion, but maybe her financial provider, her handyman, the father of her children, the computer guy, someone who did things for her, right? Her travel. There's so many different losses. And how we like to describe it, Ron came up with this description, and I thought this was really good. He kind of compares it to... You, you've lived in this house and you know everything about the house. You know your way around the house, Sherry. But then one day you go in and it is completely dark. So you can't see anything in the house, but you know where things are because you know the house. But someone's moved all the furniture around. So this is how we compare widowhood because what we find is some of our life is familiar to us, right? There's some familiarity. Yet there's so much different, and we are trying to navigate this and coming upon new things every day where we don't even feel like ourselves, right? So many people say, I don't know who I am now. Right. I am lost. And trying to navigate this life that is turned around overnight is very complicated, and it's overwhelming, and we aren't equipped because people don't give us the resources and the help. And now some people, they don't need that extra care. Some people just do manage their way. But so many of us rightfully need help and support. And there is so much that we can do to make things better for them. There's no way to get around the pain, right? You have to go through it. But there are there's so many things we can do to make it better, a bit easier, and it not last as long. But there's no way about there's just no way to avoid the anguish. It is part of the journey, right? And I agree. It's, it can be very fearful. I, I have to say, within 10 minutes of knowing my husband died, I got very scared. Very right. scared. Because you can get stuck in that. Like you can become stuck in your grief and known for your grief. And that is one thing of all the things I didn't know. That was one thing I did know. I was like, I don't want to be poor Sherry who's still pining for her husband. Poor Sherry who just cries every night for her husband. Did I love my husband? Yes, I love my husband. I, I have not laughed as hard. Since the day he left, I have not laughed as hard that I used to laugh with him every day like that. And so those are things like that that are missing in my life. But you can get stuck. What are some of the ways that people can get stuck? How do we stay away from getting stuck? Well, I think stuck is just such a great choice of words, Sherry. And I would say that the number one word that people who come to our widow retreats they will say they're stuck. And so what will happen often, so it could be what you said, is that their widowhood becomes, or their loss becomes their identity. All right. And, but there, and there are some people that I've worked with that don't want to give that up. They, 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 they want that, that makes them comfortable and they want to stay there. I can't work with people like that because they're not ready. Right. And that's okay. And by the way, there's perfectly a, there's a time where that is your identity, 
right mm-hmm. after the law. It is. It's totally appropriate to be there and to to be depressed and you know on on the pity all that. That is completely appropriate and sometimes necessary. But as time goes on, we hope that there'll be a little bit movement towards trying to get better or at least wanting to feel better. And so I would say that what happens is, at least most people that I talk to, they'll have even tried things, but they're not working. You know, like I went to counseling for three years and and that did not work for me. It doesn't mean it doesn't work for everybody, but they'll try things. And so what happens is they want to feel better. They don't like where they're at. They, they want to feel better, but they have no idea what to do. And that's the stuck. Oftentimes they have no idea what to do. And that's where uh, working with someone who, you know, who knows what they're doing, I'm like, well, hey, we can help you with that because we can get you unstuck. I always say that's what we specialize in to get some movement so that then, you know, when we can get some healing, right, by, by processing the deep emotions that go along with the loss and everything and freeing up a lot of that pain in their heart, their filter begins to change. Because a lot of times they can't even answer the question, who am I now? What does life look like for me? Because they're still in so much pain. But if we can start and move some of that pain and free some of that heart, their filter changes and they just feel lighter and, and they start to see things differently and they can get some hope and we can start something that takes root in them so that then we can say, who is Sherry now? What does life look like? You know, for them, and everybody's journey is a different length, but I find most people are stuck not because they choose to be. Most of them just need help and they don't know what they need. And that's frustrating. And they think, what's wrong with me? Because you don't know which end is up. And it's interesting the way you put that because there's such an identity free fall after wife is stripped away from you and any other role that was associated with that, you don't know who you are. And so it, it seems like it would be a natural shift to then become the the widow who is known for her grief because there's a defined identity. So I can see how that would probably happen. I fought that, but I can see how people might easily translate or transfer over into that identity. And then because you have something to hold, grab a hold of, then you kind of get stuck there, especially when they don't engage resources like you guys. Well, and, it, it, and they wouldn't know to. Most people don't know to. People are always so surprised to find the help. And again, I want to be sensitive to people uh, who are newly grieving that there is absolutely a time where it is your identity, right? Where you are in need of people just caring for you and you're barely, barely surviving, right? And you lose your zest for life and everything and you want to isolate and stay in your pajamas and all of those things. It is completely appropriate. So I don't, I just don't want anyone to be discouraged if they're there and they're hearing I should be doing better. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Because there is a season of this grief that no one can help you. If you can't bring my husband back, if you can't change my circumstance, then you can't reach my pain. And I would not rush that trying to whatever that looks like for each individual. For me, it was trying to make sense of it. And I was engaging God. I was really pouring out. A lot of it came up out of anger and just asking him, you know, who am I supposed to be now? What is my life supposed to look like? What have you done to me? You're the good God I profess, and this does not feel good. But you will hear me now say that God speaks beautiful things in the dark because in that authentic struggle with him, he spoke some of the most incredible things that I have ever changed my life, changed 
changed my the, my relationship with him, brought me into an intimacy I did not even know was missing. So in that painful place, that's where he's going to bring his beauty and to transform your heart if you'll let him. And I do say, let God in. I don't know how people process such deep pain without uh, a hope for a better tomorrow. Uh, I couldn't say that I was thinking about a hope for a better tomorrow at that time, but I'll tell you when it did shift for me is when I finally, the Lord said to me, I was pouring out something with him at that time. And the Lord said to me, Sherry, I don't care what this world puts on you, labels you with, tries to make you wear or believe or a lie. You keep your eyes on me because I'm writing a much bigger love story with you as the individual I created you to be. You keep your eyes on me. And so that was the final beautiful thing that he said to me as far as laying down my self-defined rights to know why and to understand everything. That My questions had to be answered just right so that I would understand what happened. And when he said that to me, I just laid it all down. But that is when then I could hear him. And so for me, that's when it shifted from that deep. And it took a year, if not over a year. The first year, big blur to me. So it definitely a year without question a year, but it may have been two years. Uh, I didn't even go to grief share until three years. So, but that, that was the shift for me when the healing began, when I could hear what he was trying to engage my heart with. So don't dodge the process, but don't miss the chance to heal too. Um, I, the, the word love story, those two words, that's beautiful. And what I also see from your example, Sherry, is that even though we're hurting and you were hurting, you were seeking God. Mm. And I think that allows him to speak to you. And again, you can have a crisis of faith, you know, there's some, and you can understand it, right? Like, God, how could you allow this to happen? And this was, you know, this was awful. And oh, so many heartbreaking stories. Mm. And even if you are angry with them, are you, you know, you don't want to reach out to them, even just saying help, like God, just help. You know, I don't know what's going on. I don't like this. I'm questioning my faith, right? Mm. Help or show me you're real, right? You cling to me and you could go back and forth with this, but just, I would just encourage people to keep the conversation open, Right. And and give yourself grace, especially early on, that it is hard and it should be hard. And you know why it's so hard? Because you loved so much. And the pain is a reflection of the love. Mm. So how can it not hurt? And if we avoid it or try to numb it, it's yeah. gonna come out sooner or later. But it is not, it's not anything I would wish on my worst enemy. Right. But if I had to go through it, I wouldn't choose to go through it again necessarily. Boy, did God do some amazing things. I can look back now. I think when you're in, I wouldn't even say I had hope in the beginning. Early on, if I'm talking to a, a, a new griever, especially a widow, and I say there is hope, well, they'll swear at me, you know, which is un completely understandable because to say, I, I, I promise you, it does not always have to be this way. And of course they can't even imagine, which is why you don't say those things early on because it doesn't help them at all. They just need someone to validate their pain and just hold them. I remember one time I was in an exchange with somebody and I, I was happy at the moment and smiling. And they said, how are you standing 
up. And I said, are you kidding me? I am draped over the shoulders of God himself. That is the only way that I am making each day, each breath, and and at that point having a hope and a better tomorrow. Is it is that something that people need to give themselves permission for? Joy, happy moments? Oh, so important. Two things that I, I was thinking there. First of all, that I got that and a lot of people tell me they get this too. Kind of what you heard. It's, it's like, you're so strong, you know, like, cause I would seem okay. You're so strong. You're so strong. And I would look at them and say, strong, I, I'm alive. That's it. Like I can be dead or alive and I'm alive. So I'm just moving. I am far from strong. I am weak, fragile, you know, clinging to God. But that also does grievers a disservice because then we think we're supposed to appear strong. Ah, true. Permission for joy. When we have the widow's retreat, the first thing we have to teach these widows, and isn't it awful how hard we are on ourselves, is that, and it's not just widows, but I, I tend to talk a lot about widows because that's where retreat is, but that if you smile or laugh, it does not mean you didn't love your husband or you're dishonoring them. And I would say 95% of them struggle with that. And I remember that. If I would laugh, it's like, oh, people think I, I don't miss Mark. Uh, and it's so important to grant them that permission, even though they know the person they loved wouldn't want them to be miserable, would want them to have those times. We tend to feel guilty yeah. if we experience any of them. So even part of the Widow's retreat is is shifting, right, to a new relationship with their husband where it's not about forgetting him at all, but remembering him in a good way with less pain and, and still allowing the relationship, but it's different, right? It's not about forgetting them. And they need to understand that, too, that we have to really teach them you feeling better is not about forgetting your husband at all. We're, we're going to bring him forward with you in a really healthy way. And then finally, about joy, I believed, and it ended up being true, Sherry, when I felt pain to a deeper level after my husband died, a, a level that I, I don't know if you would say the same for you, I didn't think pain could go that deep. I, there was, I never imagined that anything could hurt like that. Pain isn't even an appropriate word. Anguish, torture, you know, just the, the sounds I would make in my tears. It was guttural sounds. But that pain opened up a deeper spot in me. And I hoped someday that that deeper spot might be filled with a different emotion. And I can tell you now that I have joy down there. And I have joy in a deeper place than I've ever experienced before. But that place was opened up because of pain. Mm. But that's what God can do. And I am not trying to just be, you know, Mary Sunshine here. It doesn't mean I don't miss my husband and that there aren't tough times and, and all of that. But I am living proof of what God can do. And it's it's that brutal. That is such a great word. Brutal. <laughs> Need that on a t-shirt. <laughs> That's right. When we're trying to help people, one of the other things I think that people do, and don't get me wrong, Scripture is powerful and it's transformative in our life, but throwing Scripture over someone's pain, it comes across, in my opinion, as cold and unhelpful, to be honest with you, at a certain point. Why does it come across that way in some of the context of loss and grief? that we might be offended if someone shares it with us. How can something so powerful as the Word of God not be helpful? 
Well, I think that's a really good question. And I don't know that it's the word of God that's not helpful as much as the timing and Uh who's sharing it and the time. That makes sense. Because there is a time and a place. So I will tell you, when people quoted the word of God to me when they were talking to me, I did not appreciate it because I felt invalidated and that you're not recognizing my pain. I don't need you to fix this. Right now, I just need you to say, that sucks. Mm. This is terrible. Now, not everybody feels that, but I, I hear that a lot. But when I would go to scripture myself, when I was ready, it would speak to me. Right, the word of God spoke to me, but that was me engaging. That's true. With it. Does yeah. that so? And I think people can pray the word of God over us. You can ask them if you want to share scripture, but it, it's tough. And I actually have heard I, I have heard people say that they did appreciate people reading scripture to them. So I think it's maybe something to ask. But for the most part, just think before you speak. And I've done workshops for churches you know, to help train their leadership and pastoral staff on that and how to deal with grieving people. And I always say, please watch the scripture references. It's not that they're not powerful, but there's a time and a place. And right now, these people just need to be accepted. That's, uh, that is so good. I like the way you're making that distinction. Because I know that the word of God did help me, but it, it now that you say that, it was me looking. And that's how it helped me. It was me going into it, yes, right? Okay. Because that was me and God talking. I gotcha. That's that's my experience. So, yeah. Well, I can definitely relate to that. I think uh, lots of things that people say to us, including scripture, they're probably true, but they're not helpful. Does that make sense? So, you know, it's just grieving people really just need companioning, right? Someone just alongside them and not trying to fix it, not trying to talk them out of it. And please, I always say, don't start anything with at least, Mm. at least, right? Good. At least, because that's, you know, never going to go. And, you know, but think about this is how we're raised, because even think of children who fall, right? Or children who get hurt by something. What's the first thing we do? We try to talk them out of it. Yeah, you're right. It's not that bad. So we can't really blame people for trying to do that with us because we are not comfortable with people's pain. And we, if we could teach children early on that all emotions are welcome and should be expressed, Mm. right? And then when we can validate people's pain and allow them to experience it, then they can move on to the next emotion. But we're so busy trying to talk them out of it. And I still catch myself you know, because sometimes I just don't know what to say. And I want to say it. And I thought, oh, Anne-Marie, you should know better than that. Um, I've been there. But I do it. And I tell people it's okay to say, I don't even know what to say. Yeah. But I care. Yeah. So what I hear you saying on, on top of the message that you're making clear is that it really boils down to relationship. Relationship with Christ, that's when the word is more. When you are intimately engaging the heart of God and you read his word, that's when it really speaks to you. A level of relationship sounds like it depends on what you can and can't say or should or shouldn't say because you it depends on how well you know the person. Are you inner circle, outer circle? Do you know what they're going through? And I'm not saying... And that's another thing, please don't say to anybody else is I know what you're going through oh. and say, I imagine I have a sense of that, but not, I know what you're going through. Cause again, it is so original and so different for every person that you cannot pinpoint and how somebody will act. The attention back on yourself instead of the grieving person. Yeah. 
you know, and again, we're trying to help. I do a whole workshop on this. <laughs> we, we've done it at a, a few conferences about just how to communicate to your friends and family. Yeah. what you need, how to get through the holidays and the special days, because, you know, we can empower grieving people to know how to engage with yeah. family and friends and how to answer the things that they say, how to let them know what support you need, how to help them understand your grief and that you are going to grieve harder and longer than they think you should, mm -hmm. you know, without all the judgment. So there's a lot, but again, unfortunately, if the griever doesn't know how to do that, which most don't, they, they need that help, but then it alleviates a lot of resentment if they can do that. Yeah, because you call that we companion people. We have to understand how to companion people. Mm -hmm. You wrote a book on this, didn't you, as far as being able to help those who are grieving? Is that book still available? Yes, it is. It's on Amazon. And well, it's actually a lot of places, but Amazon's the easiest place to get it. But what happened to me, and I think from what you said, you could relate to some of this too. After my husband died, I was shocked at the things people said and did. I really was. And I thought, you didn't just say that to me. The friends that I thought would be there weren't. And then others showed up that I didn't expect. And I I just saw people doing so many things. I thought, oh my gosh, somebody's got to help you. And now remember, I did all these things before. But then I thought, I'll just write like a little pamphlet <laughs> on some, but it ended up becoming a book. It's just a, it's a quick little read. It's a one hour read. But it is for somebody who, who cares for somebody who's grieving to take the awkwardness out of it, because that's what happens. People are so awkward in your pain. They don't want to make it worse. So they avoid you or they try to fix it. And I remember, Sherry, people seeing me and turning around because they didn't know what to say. So I would say that this book is just a, a quick read to empower you to know what to say, to know what to do, to take care of practical needs, to not say, let me know if you need anything, right? Or, or I mean, we don't know what we need, but to take action. And that's probably the, the biggest compliment I get is that someone will come up to me and say, oh my gosh, I read your book and I knew exactly what to do now. Like someone that I've been avoiding, I, I actually was able to walk up and do these things and it just empowers them. And then they forget all that and someone dies again and they just read it real quick to look at a few things. But it, it's not that they don't care. They just don't know. And you're even good at equipping the widows or widowers and, and how to respond when someone comes up and says, let me know if you need me to do anything. Okay, so we actually were doing that in one of our workshops where we asked people to, when we were trying to tell them how to talk to their friends, what kind of questions you know, do you get that you don't know how to answer? But one of them was, you know, well, you know, let me know if you need anything. And the answer would be really like, what kind of things do you think you could do? That's very nice of you to offer. So it gets specific and it helps both right. of them, to be honest Yeah, with you. it helps both. Like, what kind of things are you talking about when you say that? That's very nice of you. Thank you. Yeah. And it could be, oh, I could do, I could run errands or do grocery shopping or, but, but at least it puts it back on them mm -hmm. because maybe some people will call, but I wouldn't call. A lot of people aren't comfortable calling. And I, or you could even say something like, you know, I'm not sure what I need now, but if you could check in with me maybe in a week and tell me the kind of things you could do or just check in, maybe I could let you know. So having answers for those things, or when people talk at you and tell you what you should be doing, you know, you should be in a grief group or you should be talking to someone. You should be dating, you know, whatever it is that you should be doing. And you could say, you know, thank you very much. I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> Thanks very much for your thoughts, um, but I'm going to do what's best for me. 
You know, so for instance, you know, it's the holidays. Well, you should, you know, you should be doing all this with the kids. You should be getting together with people. And maybe that's not what you want. And it's okay to say, you know, thanks for your thoughts. I'm going to do what's best for me. But thank you. Just having some back pocket things to say, or even I appreciate your thought, but that really didn't help me very much (laughs) as opposed to saying, right. I can't believe you said that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's true. Because to be honest with you, in this, the way you're developing conversation, you're giving widows, widowers, an opportunity to think about how to respond and they become more equipped and more comfortable. It does open up the conversation for grief. People who are going to offer help are going to be more specific about offering help. Hey, can I do your laundry on Thursday at three o'clock? Will that work? Can I have groceries dropped off on the on your doorstep on Friday at four? Because you know that that's what you can do. It's what you can afford. It's the time that you can do it. And you're just checking with the person. Anyway, I just feel like you're creating meaningful, purposeful exchange and conversation around grief. I think that's a good thing. It's a great thing. And if, if grievers can get these tips to help make their journey a little easier, but they have to, they have to get this help, right. To think about this, what are the questions and what do you need? And just to have someone walk them through it. And, you know, even just having a one great friend, like that's your key, key person, right. That can, that can help you in your grief journey to help you get the support that you need. Not that they're going to do everything for you, but someone that you're comfortable sharing where you're at, that maybe can help you with what needs to get done and how to get that done. When you think about your ministry and with Ron, and by the way, you got married again with Ron. Big surprise. Yeah. How exciting though. That's pretty happy. I think that's a happy thing. That's a good thing. It certainly is. But I have to tell you, I never planned on being married again, Sherry, ever. It was not in the cards. Ron didn't plan on it either. He'd lost his wife to a four-year battle with cancer. Mm. And I I always felt like I needed to be okay on my own, eventually, that that was really important. And I had created quite a good life for me, like six years in, and I was okay. I I was okay. And I'd created a, a good life on my own and just assumed that's the way it would go. And then I just happened to meet him, you know, when I was checking out something to do with business and we became friends and started partnering and working in business together. And it just grew into something really beautiful. And I will tell you, I call him my bonus round. He's a, he's a very pleasant surprise. And, but I can say now, especially since we're, you know, here we are talking about God, that we both see that God brought us together because we have such a powerful impact together more than we did separately, you know, working with people. And it's our greatest joy. It's such an honor to work with people to help heal broken hearts. And it feels so good. So we we believe that God brought us together for this reason. And it's it's something really beautiful, but very, very surprising. A beautiful surprise. It was a beautiful when, surprise. When you're working with your clients, what is something that brings you joy? It's absolutely when we get to a point with the processing where they'll say, oh my gosh, I had no idea how much I was carrying until I got it off. And I see them smile and I see sparkles in their eyes. That's, that's it. Like they'll say, oh my goodness. You can see like, even like, it's amazing with the widow's retreats, it's only four days, but they get to, you see it, it just takes. And, and some, depending on how long it's been since the loss, it's going to take them longer. We start something, but they feel different and they have hope and we see them smile or giggle or laugh and, or they'll go home and they'll say, my friends even say, I look different. Like I have hope. 
And that, it just, it's exhausting work what we do, but such joy, such joy. It is, it is an honor, an honor to do this work and to see that we can bring hope and healing through God, God using us, but to see these ladies who come and many people will come and say, this is my only hope, right? Like I've got no hope because they really don't think they're going to get any better. And and they don't have a lot of hope necessarily that this is going to help them, but it really does when they're ready and they're right which is why we always talk to people before we work with them because it's not always right for everybody and it's not the time. So that's, that's the joy is seeing people get that little sparkle and the lightness and think, okay, wow. See that transformation taking place. Yeah, that's very, I would think that is very rewarding. And this question might not apply since you do some pre-qualifying beforehand to make sure that it's a good match between you, your program and the widow or widower. What is something that grieves you about the process? You've put everything into it. You wanted to see something change or happen. What is it? Anything grieve you about the work you do? Well, their stories are heartbreaking always, always. But we expect that. And I think the only thing that is hard for me is when I see someone and we get it very rarely at the widow retreats because we we tell them, you, you know, there's work to be done. And if you want to get results, you you need to do the work. But with even the private counseling or something like that, the, the only time or when we do a group, it's the people who we know we can help and they just won't do it. Mm-hmm. But they come to us because they want to be better, but they won't do the work. And we watch them get stuck. Like you said, there's a time and a place where you're not ready for the work and that's completely understandable. And we would never want to do it too soon, but they are stuck and they can be stuck for years. I worked with someone like 30 years later, you know, and not because they chose that way. They just didn't know there was help, but to watch someone suffer and to say, here we are to help you. We can guide you. We can do this. And they they just won't do it for whatever reason, scared, fearful, not wanting to give up the identity that that's what grieves me. Yeah, because I would guess if you feel like you have to give up the identity that you've become so comfortable with, what now? Like that's almost like re-losing who you were again, like going through that again and then having to find yourself again. So I imagine that would be a big deterrent. But what a shame to not engage that opportunity to step into the pain and uh, find a way out of it, find a way through and out of it. Well, that's another point that what you just said there, I'll, a lot of people are very scared to go to that place of pain, Mm. especially if they've never dealt with things in the past, because we tend to deal with this loss, you know, as we dealt with other things. So if you avoid and you, you know, don't address those things, this is very hard for you. And it's hard for anyone, even when they want the work, it's scary. It can be scary. But I always tell people, I know you think you're going to break. You think you're going to break. I thought I was going to break. I promise you, you won't break. I'm going to hold you. You will not break. We're going to free you. If you can go there with me, you know, we're going to free you. So that fear is understandable too. I think the breaking that that I think they'll find is that the breaking off of just the weight and the grief and breaking off the things that will allow you to have a smile a little longer, joy Mm -hmm. in your heart, maybe that that's a beautiful thing too. We are at the end of our time together and I'm very sad about that. So Mm -hmm. 
Two questions that I always like to ask at the end of my conversation. The first one is, is there anything that I have not asked you about that you want to share before we part? Oh, thank you. That our free resource, which I know that you'll share the link if anybody wants to go there. And our we have a YouTube channel too with a bunch of grief videos as well on all sorts of different topics if, if people would like to look at that. But I think I would just like to say that you know, if you if you're someone newly grieving and you are in such pain and you just can't imagine that you'll ever be okay again, and you might not be newly grieving either. So I want to, you know, it appears, I just, please don't give up. Do not give up. I promise you there is hope and healing is possible. I've experienced it. I see it all the time. It takes time and it takes some active, healthy, grieving steps, but you can be good again. Life can be good again, even if it's different. And you may not be able to hear that now, and that's okay. Just put it in your back pocket and know sometime maybe you'll pull it out. Don't give up. That's strength and hope. Mm-hmm. Something that you shared that you said to God early on when your husband had passed, your husband Mark had passed, God, if I have to go through this, uh, you either said, I want to glorify you, honor Mark, and impact lives. And from the outside looking in, it would appear that you're doing just that. How do you feel about that? Or are you too close to see that you are fulfilling that? No, I, I thank you for saying that. And that was as soon as I got off the phone, I was out of the country when he died in a hotel and I dropped to my knees and I did say, God, if I have to go through this, may I glorify you, honor Mark and impact lives. And I would say he actually has done that. I I think, I I hope not right away. You can be sure (laughs) I was useless for a long time. That didn't happen till later. And I took a lot of risks, but he, he led me and my whole life changed and the trajectory of my life changed. And I mean, now I get the joy of helping hurting hearts. And that's the other thing that I'd like to share with people. And I see it with what you're doing, Sherry, is that there is a way that you can help people in a way that no one else can because of your pain. Like your pain enables you to understand and help other hurting people in a way that someone who hasn't experienced it can't. And so maybe we wouldn't wish to go through this, of course, but if you have to, God can use it for good for your good, for the good of others, and you have something to share. You have an understanding. And sharing that with others and helping others is part of the healing process too, when the time is right. Again, when the time is right. And just trust God as best you can, even when you don't understand. And just keep the line of communication open, even if you're upset with him. When the time is right, keep the that communication line open with him. The last question you may have already answered, because I feel like those last two things were pretty powerful, but I don't want to, to answer the question myself. I want to give you that opportunity. Our listeners are going to walk away from this conversation, and they might only remember one thing. What is the one thing that you want them to remember? Wow, the one thing. 
there is hope. I really want to get the message. There is hope. Don't give up hope. And God can do immeasurably more than you can even imagine with you and your life and restore you and give you what you need more than you could even imagine again in time and just just trust and don't give up please god is a god of wonders he's amazing and everything everything i believed about god has been proven true through all my pain how beautiful is that we were close on that beautiful encouraging lifeline of of a message so thank you so much Anne marie i deeply appreciate you your insight your experience thank you thank you thank you Thank you so much for having me and and what you do. What a wonderful conversation. And this podcast is so needed. We don't talk about this enough. So thank you for using your pain and glorifying God and honoring your husband and impacting lives. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.